When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show, powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. You tell the vibes are very up uh, on this week's, uh, this Thursday edition of the CJ Show. The vibes per 60, way up. You can tell with the way CJ's kind of throwing up his fists. He's doing the hand gestures. He's very excited for someone uh, who has entered off-season mode uh, and is weeks away from uh, retiring off to a cabin uh, where <laughs> no one will hear from him. That was me trying to lift the Stanley Cup. I don't know how you mimic it with a trophy in your hand, but I'm trying yeah. to I'm trying to do the the Mark Stone right now. I was about to say, as someone you've 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 posed with the Stanley Cup, I'm surprised that. There's no photo of you actually raising it like how it was when you when it was at your dad's house, right? It was at uh, the cupkeeper's house in Coburg. Uh, Sorry, the cupkeeper's house. But your dad but was there. That's the only rule. Honestly, the only rule is that you're, you're supposed to have won it to lift it. Now, on a night like the night they just had in Vegas where it's wild party, I'm sure a few friends and family got their hands on it and, and managed to lift it, uh, kind of breaking protocol. But... The only way to do it is to, is to get either in a massive room where everyone's drunk and blocking out the cupkeeper from stopping it or to do it secretly. So I've never lifted the trophy. I've never tried. Um, you know, I think my days of winning it might have passed me or potential of winning it. But uh, I've definitely I've touched it because I just figure, first of all, I'm not all that big on the superstitions that go around. Like, I'm fine if you tweet that Jose Barrios has a no-hitter through six. That doesn't bother me, mm. for example, which is relevant for anyone who was watching the Blue Jays on Wednesday night. Um, mm-hmm. I'm fine when teams touch the, the Prince of Wales trophy after winning the conference final. And I'm more than fine with uh, someone like, if you get a chance to go to the Hockey Hall of Fame or if you're at a cup party, I mean, put your hands on that thing. It's what's such a beautiful trophy. Dude, so there's no superstition out there that you're – that you abide by there has to be one i don't think there is man i mean definitely when i was younger like i think i probably said like i mean we're going way back to when i played sports and stuff like i think i definitely kind of was raised in that you know it's part of certainly hockey culture there's certain things you you know there's a way you put on your equipment all that kind of stuff we see it with a lot of the, the players still in the nhl um but you know n- nowadays not i mean the only thing i'm not using is the J word when it comes to great teams or great players. Oh yeah. But but that's more because other people attach superstition to it. And I don't want them to think I'm actually trying to jinx something. Cause I, you know, anytime I've used that, it was not intended to be a jinx. And so, but if you remember, like not to make this about me, but when I ran my marathon during COVID, I ran it in a shirt that said juggernaut. I was trying to make a statement there that like, I don't, I don't see any superstition in attaching myself to that word but I'm just not going to put that on the teams or players because 
some people some people think like I'm trying to like doom whatever the Canadians of 2021 or whatever that was by using it and and I think I might have used it actually this year on the Bruins when they were well on their way to like lapping the field six times while winning the President's did. Trophy. I think yeah, you I did. did. I actually I did it. If I go back, I might I I vaguely remember you using that about the Bruins, and I remember being surprised because of the you might have actually jinxed them. I'll go back on the footage. I might no. have to go back. I did. I So I, I put Juggernaut in my newsletter during the year. Like at some point I was writing about the Bruins dominance. And then I think we discussed it on the pod after that. But I will tell you this. That word is retired. That is the only thing that I'll say is like somewhat superstitious. And, and really it's about other people, not about me. Like I have, I don't believe I have the power to jinx anything. Like it's our job to talk about the sport and the players and the things that go on but we don't really affect too much. Like if we're being truthful, I mean, we're reacting to what's happening. We're trying to tell you what's going on behind the scenes sometimes and all those sorts of things, but we don't, we don't change the outcome of history. I mean, look, I picked Winnipeg to beat Vegas in round one. We both that's, how, that's how smart I am. Now, by the time it got to the final, I, I you know, I had watched enough of the gold Knights to realize, okay, I, I, I miscalculated yeah. in round one and I did pick them as you did, I believe to win the Stanley cup by the time we got to the final series. But, that's just an, an example of the ways we don't in, influence things because the Golden Knights just marched to one of the cleanest cup wins you can have. And uh, I don't think there's any doubt about their dominance while doing so. Uh, before we get to one part of the cup final that you and a few other media members do get to influence, what are your thoughts on the fact that uh, the Golden Knights were able to uh, end a long, agonizing six-year wait uh, to win the Stanley Cup and prove Bill Foley right? Well, it's awesome. Like, if you're a fan of a team, you should want your owner out there saying, we're going to win in a number of years. That doesn't mean you have to get old to see it happen. And I think it sets a certain standard within the organization. And what I love about the Golden Knights win, as I just alluded to there, is I don't think there was any element of fluke in it whatsoever. They were clearly the better team in all four series they played. They, they, in fact, could have maybe swept the cup final. They could have pushed Dallas out even a little sooner in the Western Conference final. I mean, they, they, they were dominant, frankly, uh, especially at five-on-five five where a lot of the game is played in the playoffs. And let's face it, this front office, well, yes, they had more favorable expansion rules than teams, you know, 15, 20 years ago. They had to make a lot of big, bold decisions along the way to building that organization to the point where it could have a dominant postseason run. And so I, I think full marks, full value. I think more organizations should be holding themselves internally to the kind of standard that Vegas has right from day one or even from day minus 100. You know, when, when the Gold Knights were just an idea, Bill Foley had these, these huge visions for what was going to happen. And, you know, you, to see the scenes as they win that cup, I mean, what a remarkable thing. I mean, I'm old enough to remember, Julian, when there was a lot of people that wondered, like, is, is the NHL going to work in Vegas? Like, what, what is this? It's the desert, and people just go there to party, or this or this or that, like, gamble and party. And it has worked literally since the moment the team arrived. You know, I was there the night of the expansion draft, and there was, like, a legitimate buzz that day. You know, I was there for the cup final when they got there against Washington in 2018. I've been there on, you know, random Tuesday nights in February for regular season games. Like, I just think that that – thing has been a j word right from the beginning and i didn't i just what i mean is a jumbo success is what i meant by the j word um 
And they have, and they have, they earned everything they got. And I think, look at, we always talk about what's going to be the copycat. What's going to be the fault of this. I think there should be more front offices now thinking, Hey, we got to go try to trade for a number one center or, you know, take a big swing in free agency or, you know, sign a player. And Hey, if it's not working out after two years or we have a cap problem, just trade them. And I know that can be rough sometimes on the individual players and their families. I respect that. But I think from a front office standpoint and an approach standpoint, what other teams should be copying is an urgency to try to win. Um, because I think that at times this has been a passive sport or a passive league, a passive, you know, I think the salary cap has kind of had that effect. Now, you know, this year's trade deadline was an exception to that. I have a feeling these next few weeks are going to be an exception to that. As I've stated before, it looks like to me, we're going to have a pretty active and ample trade market to, to discuss. Um, but, but the takeaway for the gold Knights for me is that they, they set that standard and they just went at it and took risks and got it right and good for them. And the cool thing too, I mean, if you look at what the roster could look like for next year, I mean, yeah, they have Ivan Barbashev as a, Ivan Barbashev as a, as a, as a UFA for the summer and Teddy Bluger, Phil Castle, who knows what his career is going to be. Aiden uh, Hill, bud. Aiden Hill, Laurent Brassois, and Jonathan Quirk are also free agents. But for the most part, their core is still intact. They could easily run it back. For sure. I mean, why would there's no reason to to think that they won't be in the mix again next year? They, they certainly, I'm very comfortable saying they'll be in the contender status again next year. I mean, we'll see how everything goes. It's a short summer. It's it is hard. It's hard enough to do it once. It's hard to do it twice. Um, the lightning of though have shown us in recent years it's it's possible if you get on a run. And and you know, I think you, you got to like the fact that that Jai Keuchel is just you know just past mid twenties, so he's still got a lot of years left. He, I thought he was great in the playoffs. And, you know, someone like Petrangelo looks to me like he's aging well for what you need. And so, yeah, they, they, they've got a few more cracks at it. I, I would definitely say that. All right. I want to know about your process for voting for the Conn Smythe Trophy, the playoff MVP. Uh, I believe uh, the ballots are all have all been made public, yours as well. Uh, you voted for Jonathan Marcheseau, who ended up uh, being named playoff mvp the first undrafted player to win playoff mvp since uh wayne gretzky 1988 yes yes that is the correct answer uh i believe journalists there tell me if i'm wrong had until the 10 minute mark of game five to vote yes that that works that's that's the standard and and you know i've done this process many years now and it's 10 minute mark of the third period of any game that could decide the cup. So even in the event that game five, that Florida was up five, one, just for argument's sake, we still would have had to cast a ballot uh, that the league tabulates because obviously they give out that award that they give out that award before they award the Stanley cup officially to the team. And so, you know, there's a certain process that goes on behind the scenes of the league. You know, I don't have insight into that. I can just tell you, you, you get a couple people's email that you're supposed to submit your ballot to, and it must be in by the 10 minute mark of the third period. And so it's an agonizing process. It's never easy. I mean, obviously some years have been more clear than others. Uh, I think that there really was legitimate arguments for, you know, even in the end, Mark Stone, who didn't make my top three, I think Jack Eichel obviously had a very legitimate argument to win it. I think that there, there could have been an Aiden Hill camp uh, because he was that exceptional, probably the, the, the thing that might've hurt him in some voters eyes. And I haven't talked to them all, but it's just the idea that, that he came in a little later in the playoffs and maybe that, you know, the, the feeling that Golden Knights were so dominant that that lots of goalies could have had success there. I, I don't know what everyone's thought process was. 
I, I really wrestled with it, honestly. And for me, it came down to Eichel or Marcia. So, um, you know, the argument I think for Eichel is he's the most important center on the team that's winning. Uh, you know, he ended up finishing with the most amount of points in the playoffs, although I think he picked up a point after the point where we voted. So, you know, at that when at the moment when you're voting, you don't know for sure who's going to, because it was so close and there was a few guys there, you don't know who's going to finish as a playoff scoring leader. I think he played his last 11 games, if I'm not mistaken, without a goal, um, you know, which could impact how some people think. But, he, you know, he clearly had a huge impact on the series. In fact, him and Marcia so were line mates. You know, he was helping set up a lot of those goals, but scoring a goal, by and large, is more difficult than setting up a goal, I would argue. And I just couldn't... I couldn't get past the fact at the end when I looked at, you know, it's playoff MVP and Jonathan Marchessault show scores 13 goals in the playoffs, 10 of them either tied a game for Vegas or were a go ahead goal. I mean, he just scored big goal after big goal, after big goal, after big goal, right from the second round, third round and through the cup final. Um, but you know, that being said, this wasn't a year where I just knew he was number one. Like I'm even watching game five, really going over in my head, what am I going to do here? And, you know, it, it is what it is. I think it's really easy to second guess. I, I am totally fine. If someone, you know, I think five of my colleagues put Eichel in the number one slot. I believe all five of them had Marcia. So in number two, um, you'd have to double check that for me, but I'm almost certain. And so what that tells me, again, I haven't spoken. This is the other thing I do. I don't talk to the other voters at all about what they're thinking. Like I just, I don't want to influence one way or another anyone else who's voting. That's just the way I feel about it. And so, you know, that tells me, though, that all my colleagues were wrestling with a similar kind of decision. If you pretty much everybody had either Eichel one or Marcia so one, and I was one of 13 that had Marcia so in the top slot for those reasons I mentioned. I mean, he he was really good, man. Look at yeah. even like the old school stats, like plus minus. If you look at scoring chances created, I know going into that last game, he had the, he had the highest number of shots on goal for the Golden Knights. I mean, he he was a difference maker for them, and that's that's basically how I got there. It's it's imperfect. It's I kind of wish in a way there was a way to do it where we vote after the the final game ends. Like I think, but we're just not quite there yet. I have to think there'll be a future world though where there's some kind of electronic system where. You, when the game ends that whoever's voting, I mean, I probably be past my voting stages at that point, but there's gotta be a way to get it in because it gets really hard if it gets to a game seven, Julian, because you go into a game seven and you're like, okay, team A is going to win or team B. So you're, you're, you're basically dealing with two teams worth of players you're considering. And you might have, that game might go to overtime of game seven and you might be choosing between two players and one player might score the game seven overtime winning goal. Well, that player probably, if you're that close should probably get the nod, but anyway, you do the best you can, and uh, we live with the results. By the way, you are correct. Everyone, uh, all five people who voted Jack Eichel first uh, voted Jonathan Marchessault in second place. Aiden Hill also got vo got votes as well. Uh, Mark Stone got votes as well. Matthew Kachuk uh, had one, I think. One uh, third place vote going to Matthew Kachuk. Uh, I won't say who the journalist is, but they did vote. Was it J.F. Shomo? It was J.F. Shomo. I wasn't going to say their name, but since you guessed it, well, yes, it is J.F. It's it's public. I mean, it's, it is public. This is, we want, look at, I, you know, I'm part of the professional hockey writers association. We want accountability. Like, like we want to put our names to our ballots. You know, when, when we go through the awards process later this month, every ballot becomes public. Now it's a lot mm -hmm. of ballots to sort through. If you want to get mad at your local beat writer or, or your favorite national writer to bash of choice, but um, 
you know, we, we want those things to be public. And so, yeah, that, that was what I went through. That was probably the hardest year I can remember. There might be some recency bias in that. Um, I recall it being difficult. The first Penguins Cup, uh, Crosby Kessel. And I think it was, I think it literally went down to like one vote either way. City Crosby won, uh, in 2016, but I, you know, that was, there was a lot of debate and a lot of criticism. I mean, that's, if you're going to vote, you got to take some, some crap. And so I've explained my process and that's, that's how I got there. Basically I couldn't ignore the big goals he scored, the, the role he played in their success. Um, and just, if you look right down the line through scoring chances, shots on goal, he was, he was a driver of an office that helped win, win the cup. And ultimately this game is won by scoring goals and the gold Knights, um, you know, he's, sc- he wasn't scoring a lot of goals at the end of those six, nothing wins or whatever the one they had over Dallas. Like he was, he was scoring the big goals for them when they needed them. Um, should also mention too, Jonathan Marchessault, so I believe had points in his last 10 games, uh, up until the cup was raised a 10 game point streak to end the postseason. That's also a very impressive stat, uh, for the, uh, playoff MVP. That is Jonathan Marchessault. So. a golden Knights record, a golden Knights record. Uh, one last thing. Last thing, and then we'll get to sports interaction. Uh, what did you think of that quote from Phil Kessel that went viral? Takes me back to my Toronto days. You guys said I couldn't win, and now I'm a three-time champ. Remember that. I think when you when you win, when you've had the success Phil has had since leaving Toronto, you get to have the last word, and I'm, I've got no problem with it. And I also have no problem with it because you can go back and read my work if you want to go back 10 years. I, I was never one saying you can't build a team to win around Phil Kessel. I, I was on, I was always in the camp that you need more good players to have Phil Kessel be the maximum he could be. I mean, there was a, at least one season, I think he finished sixth in league scoring on a Leafs team that had nothing around him. He was, he was a solo mission man and, and was still one of the best scorers in the league. Um, I know he didn't play ultimately in the Stanley cup final games for Vegas, but he was a huge part of Pittsburgh's two cups. You know, to me, he's already had the last word, but you know, someone put a microphone in his face. He's feeling a little frisky and, I got I got no problem with it because he's absolutely right. There is there is a huge movement in Toronto at the time that you can't win with Phil Kessel. This isn't the sort of player you build a team around. This this that the other thing, and you know really I think what people missed at that time is they just didn't have enough players with Phil Kessel for the Leafs to win or have the success they were looking for back then. And so, hey, if you win, you get to put hot dogs in the cup. You get to say what you want, and uh, I'm curious. You know, maybe that's the end of Phil Kessel's career. I don't, I don't know where things go from here. I mean, he played all 82 games in this regular season to extend his his Ironman streak, but you know that that might be that might be a swan song. We'll have to see what uh, the off season holds. Yeah, we'll have to see for uh, one Phil the Thrill Kessel. All right, let's get to you can bet that and uh, the rest of the CJ show. You can bet that with David Bastel. Brought to you by Sports Interaction. Get in the action and make a play. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Time for You Can Bet That. Remember to hit up sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all of your gaming needs. Who will the Montreal Canadiens pick? Uh, They are currently in the fifth overall slot. Maybe some reports out there that they might want to look into jumping a little higher than that potentially but the betting favorite for the Montreal Canadiens uh for their first pick in this year's draft Matt Faye Mitchkov a lot of fans want to see uh, the Canadiens pick Matt Faye Mitchkov uh David Reinbacker the uh, defender from Austria also in the running uh Will Smith is there as well Zach Benson at 6.50 as well uh and uh fifth uh Dalibor Dvorsky also in the running uh, according to our friends at Sports Interaction 
you get a little tougher when you get to the fifth pick, right? Because there's more there's more cascading circumstances that can send a team in, in various directions. You know, I'm with you. I, I think that, well, I'm sure you, you make due diligence calls if you're in Kent Hughes' seat to see if maybe there's an opportunity to pick a little higher. I just don't see why any of the teams ahead of them would be willing, even for a good player, to give up their pick. I mean, the teams above them, let's face it, they sucked on purpose this year. They, 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 they all... They, they all took, they all wasted a season, essentially, um, you know, all of them wanting Connor Bedard. But, I mean, there's other attractive pieces right at the top of that draft. It's Fantilli, uh, Leo Carlson. And so I just, I don't see what you could give up that would compel those teams to then just be like, oh, yeah, okay, then take our pick. Um, you know, the Mitchkoff question is going to be dominating discussion, leading right up until we get to the draft floor um, for the Canadians. And, and I think it's somewhat intriguing that he's, you know, viewed as the favorite there. I mean, really, you're looking at three years before he's he's able to come over from Russia because of a contract he signed the KHL. The question I think you have to ask yourself when when making this call is: Do the Canadians intend to be good enough to win before three years, or are they content, like some teams, going to be to to take a player with really enticing skill and talent, uh, but have to wait to quite a while, relatively speaking, before you're going to get them in your lineup? I'm going to ask this question to you on draft week, but if you were a GM in that top five and you had an opportunity to take Matt Fay-Mitchkoff, would you take him? It depends on the situation, but I would say generally not. Um, you know, again, it's right. It's down to each team. You have to be doing a forecast of when you're going to be competitive. I mean, what's really valuable about the NHL system for, for CBA is, is those first three years, right? I mean, there's, there's, a maximum you can pay a player and generally the best players outperform what those contracts are. And so in some cases, it's not the worst thing to have him come in a few years down the road and start his three-year entry-level deal because let's face it. I mean, maybe your team is still going to be building up and then he's joining a better team. Um, but there's also a lot of push generally from ownership or what have you to, if you finish at the bottom of the standings to get one of those top picks to get back to the playoffs and earning more revenue. And so th there's, you know, it's a it's a delicate line to walk, um, but I don't I don't have any doubt about him coming to North America long term. I think it's it's sort of like a Kirill Kaprizov or you know way back when Evgeny Kuznetsov with Washington um, took a number of years after being a, a first round pick to to join them, but but has obviously helped bring them a Stanley Cup and had some great seasons there. You know, I think he's going to be a great player in the NHL. Um, you know, I think it's just you have to survey. Can you wait if you're if you're owner or or depending on where your your team's window's at. Okay. I, again, I will ask you this question as we get closer to the draft, but I do appreciate your answer here. And uh, the uh, You Can Bet That segment comes to a close. Check out sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all of your gaming needs. Best odds before game, in-game, and the best props. Sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. This episode of The Chris Johnston Show is brought to you by Manscaped. Uh-oh. It's, it's, it's June. It's it's mid-June. Father's Day is right around the corner. Have you gotten anything for your dad yet? Don't worry, because that's where Manscaped comes in. We both know he needs some serious grooming in his life. Get your dad the lawnmower 4.0, and he will thank you enormously for helping him tame the beast. It's a win-win situation for both mom and dad. Plus, if you use code CJSHOW, you'll save 20% off and get free shipping. 
I think that's a pretty good deal, guys, especially if uh, you are looking for a last minute Father's Day gift. The Lawnmower 4.0 is in there. Really great technology helping out uh, below the waist. And again, uh, your dad will thank you for that. Your mom might thank uh, your dad as well for that, too. Uh, the ability to shave in the dark with the 4000K LED spotlight is an option. You can change the guard lengths as well with sizes one through four. It is very different from other trimmers. And of course, uh, if you're going through the other products that they have, the Weed Whacker, I got my dad one of those one year uh, for nose and ear hair. It's the best nose and hair trimmer on the market and the perfect gift for your pops. Manscapes also got cologne, the crop mop, ball wipes, crop reviver, ball toner, crop preserver, ball deodorant as well. It's really sweet. Uh, for all for everyone else listening who is wondering about some of these products too, they're cruelty-free, paraben-free, dye-free, and even vegan. Never thought I'd have to think about these products being vegan, but here we are. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code CJShow at manscaped.com. Get your dad a gift. You know he will use. Hey, happy Pride listeners. We celebrate Pride here at SDPN because we believe that sports are only fun if everyone is welcome. We're also really excited to share that we are once again working with our good friends at the Get Real Movement, and we're joining their fundraising efforts by joining a virtual 5K on June 23rd. The money we raise will be going to Rainbow Railroad. Their mission is to help LGBTQI plus people escape state-sponsored violence. It's an extremely important cause, and we've got a link in the description below. Please check it out and support if you can. And stay tuned as we continue to celebrate Pride Month. We're just getting started. Siege, as we're now getting deeper and deeper into the NHL offseason, I'm kind of curious from your vantage point. What are some of the biggest storylines you're looking for as we approach the draft and free agency? What's crazy is all the stories, not all of them, but a lot of the big stories are in Canada here, right? Like it feels like this kind of potentially volatile offseason for the Canadian teams. You know, in, in Toronto, you have a new general manager, Brad Tree Living. In Calgary, you have Craig Conroy promoted to the seat replacing Tree Living. And, you know, in Winnipeg, you've got three star players that, that Kevin Cheveldayoff has to make big decisions on. You know, obviously this week in Ottawa, there's been an ownership change. You know, it's going to take months before Michael Anlauer and his group take formal control of the Senators. But, you know, Pierre Dorian is, is now, now navigating a difficult situation with Alex DeBrinkett in terms of trying to find a suitable trade for him. Um, you know, Vancouver's got a clear cap space. Edmonton's trying to reload. Like, it just feels like a lot of the action is actually going to come through the Canadian teams. You know, maybe one of the, the first storylines that comes to mind, I'm not saying it's actually one in terms of ordering them, but is is what kind of impact or imprint is is brad true living going to put on the leafs because you know what i can tell you right now is is brad true living was in arizona this week uh meeting with austin matthews i mean so we, we've talked a lot about that the dynamic there i don't think this meeting at least my understanding of it is that there, there wasn't really a negotiation session or anything like that in terms of the contract it's more you know sharing the vision for the team um you know discussing where things might go just just you know really chance to get to know each other and start what will lead down the path to negotiation but we haven't really focused as much on William Nylander, right? And I think in some ways, look, Austin Matthews is the most important decision because he's the most important player on the team. Um, but but to me, there's no doubt he's coming back. And so it's it's really a question. With William Nylander, it's more of a question, right? Because 
if you can't sign him to a deal that, that the team thinks it can accommodate, then they might have to look at trading him. I, I, I don't see it going that way with Matthews. And, you know, so where does that number fall? And, and I think if you're William Nylander coming off an 87-point season, you're probably looking for an extension that starts with a nine. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I'm not saying nine million on the button gets it done. I mean, maybe it's nine and a half, nine, seven, five. You know, I, I think that that's probably the range you're going to push for. I would imagine the Leafs are willing to give him a raise on where he's been, but they're going to likely want that number to start with an eight. And so that actually might be the negotiation that ends up happening or playing out before the Matthews one does. Uh, because I do think the Leafs need some clarity on quicker with Nylander. Like, is he here or not? I think there's a, there's a mutual confidence that the Matthews thing will get done in time and that it might just need some time. Like maybe you get through the rush of free agency, everyone takes a breath and, and you revisit it later in the summer and, and figure out what goes on there. And so you wonder, like, will they be getting an eight-year deal for William Nylander? Can they keep him under nine if it gets to eight years? And so I think that that's a big decision. But then you go further down the lineup, Julian, and it's my understanding at this point that that some of the veteran players that have been with the Leafs that are UFAs, like like Alex Kerfoot, um, Justin Hall, Michael Bunting even, um, that they won't be back. That I think those players are all going to the open market now. And the result of that, is the Leafs have to sign or trade for a bunch of NHL forwards and and perhaps a couple defensemen because Brad Schliving has sort of hinted he wants to make some a remake of the Leafs defense kind of a, in terms of style and, and the kind of players they have back there. And so I think of all the GMs in Canada, I'm not saying that others don't have, I mean, I think everyone has a busy, anyone who's a GM in a Canadian city has a busy few weeks and month ahead. But I think Brad Schliving has probably the most to do because you know, how are you going to fill out the bottom half of the roster? Who's, who are you going to trade for that, that plays alongside Austin Matthews? I mean, that's largely been Michael Bunting's role the last two seasons. And it seems pretty clear that they're going to be going in another direction there. And so that's a storyline, not just because it's a Leafs. I just think that there's a lot of different ways that you can go. And obviously he's new in the door. I mean, Kyle Dubas was with the Leafs for nine seasons and the last five is GM. I mean, he had a certain vision for the team. And he, and he did his thing. I think True Living's going to come at it with a fresh set of eyes. And so that's a major storyline. You know, if I go to number two, sticking on the theme, it's got to be the Jets. Um, you know, and we've been over this a lot, but the closer and closer it gets to July 1st, my mind starts to go like, whoa. Like, they, they have to figure out how to handle Pierre-Luc Dubois, um, you know, who's not going to resign on a long-term deal there. And has a you know a small list of teams I think that he would be consider signing a long term deal. They have to navigate a system situation with Connor Hellebuck. They have to figure out what they're doing with Mark Shifley. They have to figure out what to do with Blake Wheeler. Maybe not discussed as much. I know there's been some discussion. Maybe he's someone they might look to to execute a buyout on. I think his contract's clearly more difficult to trade than his younger teammates. And that's just a massive offseason for a team that I know the Jets have not reached the peaks that we thought they might when they went to the Western Conference final back in 2018 but they've been a pretty consistently strong team and had certainly had a lot of good players over the number of years and you just wonder how do they move forward from that and this I think at this stage what I tell you is there's way less answers we we have all these questions I don't think they've committed to one path I don't think they're going into it saying we're trading this one of those three guys and we're going to hold on to this guy like I think that they're they're having to sort of consider all and every option, but that's 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 a massive off season for for one GM to go into. And and let's face it, I think that they could use some change there, but this might be more change than you want to have if you're in the in the Jets GM seat. 
I mean, I, I guess, but they failed at so many different turns. They just saw their 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 former head coach take another team, not only take them to the Stanley Cup final, even if they did lose, but also admit that the atmosphere there was so good. He's admitting to being less cynical. Like it, getting out of Winnipeg did wonders for Paul Maurice. There has to be some kind of change under the under the hood culturally for the Winnipeg Jets. Well, I'm not to get all Giannis on you, but we can't say it's a failure. I mean, 31 teams fail if, if we use that definition. I mean, I... But that's okay to say. Teams fail. I don't know it's that... part of, But it's part of the process. It's part of the process. I know... Look, Giannis... Giannis is a very different breed in terms of what he's saying about failure because he's... When you look at how he got to the NBA in the first place, like, you know... It's a very different journey from so many other people in that situation. I can understand why he wouldn't necessarily look at certain things as a failure or why anyone else could look at that situation and feel that way. But when we say that a team fails, it doesn't necessarily – we're not saying they're like they're bums, discard them, relegate them to a lower league. You failed. It happens. You have to fail over and over and over again until you succeed. It happens. Vegas has been in the league for like six years. They failed at different points. They blew a series lead to San Jose. Remember that one year in the first round? They failed. It is okay to say you failed. I'm tired of people saying that like, oh, you know, well, they, you didn't fail or anything like that. You did. You failed. It's not like school where you get an F and then it's going to reflect on – it's like a mark that follows you for the rest of your life. If you fail in sports, I get changes happen. Happen. But, like, you could fail and still win at the end of the day. It happens. It's okay to say you failed. That was a lot. I just think it's there's danger in absolutes, right? And and I, I think that there's some danger in looking at, like, Paul Maurice leaving. Like, he was eight years in Winnipeg. I think they, they took that as far as they could, both he and the team. Yes. Right? And and look at the, the winds of change are blowing. That's That's – Maybe my, my takeaway, if you want an off-season storyline, like I just want to see what those wins bring. Um, that to me is interesting. You know, we'll go to the third topic, and this yeah. might be one a little less discussed, but it's, it's on my mind. Eric Carlson is likely going to pick up his third Norris Trophy in you know, a week, 10 days' time. Are we going to actually see a guy traded in the same window where he's picking up his third Norris? And it's my understanding. I mean, obviously we talked – during the season at the trade deadline, Edmonton and other teams did have discussions with the Sharks about what could work. I don't know if ultimately when push came to shove, anything got particularly close because I think the barriers were so high that there was legitimate interest, but it was just hard to, to find mutual ground. You know, those same issues maintained, you know, he's, he's got four years left on his deal. You know, his cap bid is still among the, the highest in, in the league. But what I'll say is that in the offseason, I think it's a little easier perhaps, and, and nothing about this will be easy, but, but it's a little easier for other teams to move around money or to get creative with some solutions. And, you know, it's my understanding that there have been discussions with the Sharks this offseason since the year ended on Carlson. And so I don't think anything is far down the line at this stage. I think you're still, you know, teams that are maybe really interested are kind of lining up and having those preliminary discussions. But that is a that would be a monster trade. I mean, that would be one of the bigger trades we've seen, just from a cap perspective. Um, I don't I don't know what the return will end up looking like. We heard all kinds of things at the deadline. Is it going to be multiple first round picks, this or that? But I mean, let's look where San Jose's at, right? I mean, they they traded Timo Meyer last summer. They traded Brent Burns. They clearly want to get veteran salary off the books and and you know get deeper into their own rebuild. And and 
I think that, that this is maybe one that people are sleeping on is just what the, what the sharks do with Carlson and do we see him somewhere else? I mean, he just saw Mark stone, right? His former buddy just lifted the cup. You know, that Eric has a birth certificate. Eric knows what age he is, that he still just had this season. He's got to be feeling great after the season he just had individually, but you know, he knows that hundred point seasons and a fourth Norris trophy don't matter. What matters is, is getting a chance to play for the mug. And I, I think that this will be an off season ultimately where he's moved, but you know, that's still the, 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 the pieces are still aligning for that to happen at this point in time. I wonder how likely we see a third team involved in a deal with Eric Carlson, considering the salary uh, cap hit that he has. The trouble with that is most teams don't want to retain salary for, for four years. Do you know what I mean? Like teams are willing to do that in a one or even sometimes a two year window because they have clarity on where they're at. I think more than likely you're going to see a team trade some salary back that maybe they don't like. Like, I think that that's the way to, you know, there's, there's different ways to achieve the same goal, right? One is to just straight up have a team retain on Carlson and include a third party. But another is, is to be trading a contract back that helps sort of offset some of that cap hit. Um, It's look, it's a daunting task. And Mike, Greer's still, you know, relatively new in his seat, basically a year on the job now. Um, But, you know, I, I just think that the Sharks, Need it. I think that Carlson needs it on some level. I mean, as much as he's loved calling that area home, he, he kind of directed himself in part to that that situation. You know, he he's not at his age and at his stage. Does he want to stick around for a rebuild? I just it just doesn't make much sense for either side. Yeah, that's fair. Um, any other storylines percolating? There's one in my mind, but a slight you, bias. You throw it out there. Mar- throw it on the oh. table. I mean, in the market that I'm in, I mean, the Calgary Flames, Elias Lindholm, I believe he's the biggest domino to fall in terms of some of the pending UFAs that they have for next summer. And depending on what happens with him, whether or not he wants to stay in Calgary, that could affect essentially their their plan of action for this season and next, essentially. Uh, We're seeing reports out there that Craig Conroy does. I mean, not even just reports. Craig Conroy has gone out there and said he wants to find a way to keep Elias Lindholm, and he and he's a guy that he's going to try that he you, you teams would normally build around. Uh, I wrote a story with Sh- Shana Goldman a couple of days ago where we were trying to project out what his next contract could look like, and, and according to the numbers from Evolving Hockey, it could be like an eight year, eight point seven mil deal if you're going off some of the comparables like Bo Horvat or Mika Zibanejad. But like with with Elias Lindholm, he's that big domino in that market, and depending on what happens with him, it's going to be a very interesting next set of weeks. Uh, in terms of what they end up doing with him. If he says, you know what, I want to leave, they ship him off maybe at the draft probably. That's what it's probably going to look like. I, I I don't sleep on the Calgary Flames in terms of excitement. I know they're only picking 16th, but I think they're going to do something. Well, what I can tell you is that he is interested in staying. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's definitely open to it. Uh, but, you know, he's he's kind of in the driver's seat, right? He's, he's like a lot of these players that are one year out from UFA, with teams having to make a decision on him, I mean, there's not, he's not going to necessarily bend over backwards to, to give them a, a better salary that, you know, he's, he's going to have to have certain numbers met. And I, I don't know exactly what those numbers are to make it make sense. But I, I think with the right vision for building out the organization and the right contract on the table, I think there's definitely a path to getting that done. You know, what the flames have to determine as they work through this and, and, you know, the impression I'm getting is they're not in a really negotiations yet either. It's more just, Again, the conversation phase, you know, hey, here's our new head coach and, you know, keeping him in the loop about what's going on. But but I don't think they're getting down and, and crunching numbers just yet. But the Flames have to figure out, does that number make sense for them? And does signing him into his mid to even beyond mid-30s 
add a big cap hit makes sense. I mean, they, they did that last year, obviously a different general manager and signing Nazem Kadri uh, to a seven year deal as a, as a UFA, somewhat different circumstances, but they've, they've now got some of that kind of money on the books. Do you double down on somewhere else or do you look down the trade road? I mean, I, I think it's, I think it could still break a couple different ways. Even if the team wants to keep him and he wants to stay, it doesn't mean that they can find the right deal to make that happen. Um, no, but it's certainly not a case where he's, he wants out of town. I, I think, I think that the, those will be productive talks. I think they, there's still a lot of runway there, but you're right. That's a domino because Craig Conroy's already said it as introductory news conference to reporters. Like he doesn't want to have all these lame duck situations going the next season, have it be maybe a question for the team. And of course, have it be a situation like the one he experienced as the assistant GM where uh, Johnny Goodrow walked out the door for nothing ultimately as the team was, was trying to sign him a couple of years ago. So um, yeah, you know, Calgary has too many goalies, <laughs> one too many. So does mm-hmm. Dan Woodard get moved or I don't know. Do they look at trading one of the other two? Um, you know, obviously Calgary's in, in a position somewhat similar to Toronto, but they have more NHL players currently on, on the books, but they, they definitely need to fill out, you know, a good chunk of the roster still with, with some contracts. And you're right. They're almost as much, they got to address the now in these next three to four weeks, but they also have to think about next summer now because of the, the seven players that have um, expiring deals then. And, and, that would just be a lot to bring into a, it would just, that would be, that would be a gray cloud. I think hovering over next season, if they came back in the fall with, with those situations, at least a couple of them not resolved one way or the other, which of course is a contract extension this summer or perhaps a trade. If there are no other storylines, I could also just quickly plug uh, your revamped uh, big board up at the uh, North star bets website, the uh, CJ's big board 2.0, uh, looking at who is number one, should I spoil who number one is? Dmitry Orlov. There we go. Uh, Orlov, Bertuzzi, Riley, O'Reilly, I should say. I mean, it won't surprise you to hear that when I put out these big boards, I get a lot of feedback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some people disagreeing with an order or, you know, whatever. But I think some people thought Orlov should have been one from the start. Um, perhaps for his all-around defensive abilities. You know, I, I had him number two initially behind Damon Severson, who obviously went to Columbus in that sign-and-trade. Mostly because Severson, right shot, uh, maybe, you know, he's younger. So I think that that has some appeal when it comes to that. I'll be curious to see, though. So Severson got, what, $6.25 million on his eight-year deal. How many, if any, of the free agents get an AAV that exceeds 6.25? I think Orlov will. But I, I'm not sure if anyone else on that list does. I mean, the other possibilities at forward, you look at, I mean, I don't think at this stage Patrick Kane's going that high. You got Ryan O'Reilly. I think Alex Kalorn comes in under that. You know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head some of the other players that I put in the top ten there. Um, you know, but that that tells you a little bit about this free agent class. I mean, we're not talking about a nine million dollar, ten million dollar signing in free agency like the last couple of years. We had Johnny Goodrow go for over nine million. Um, you know, a couple of years ago it was Dougie Hamilton is one of the top paying guys. I mean, this, this is more of a mid tier, still very good. I mean, Dmitry Orlov has been a first pairing defenseman in the league and, and had a really good half season or partial season with the Boston Bruins after the trade from Washington. So he, so he's the number one. And then we've got players like Ivan Barbashev, right? He's got some Stanley cup shine on him. Second cup win. And, and clearly the kind of player that can be successful in the playoffs. You've got Aiden Hill, from Golden Knights, you've got Radko Gudis, who was pretty effective throughout those playoffs on Florida side. And so I think that there are players that teams have just watched, you know, really raise their games and deliver in big moments. 
And I, I think that those will be pretty appealing candidates in free agency. But yeah, you know, I think the biggest players, like the biggest player movement this this offseason is going to be trades, I think. I think we're going to see significant names move, whether it's the Pierre-Luc Dubois, Alex DeBrinket. I mean, Philadelphia still has a couple guys in the market and Konechny uh, and, and Scott Lawton. You know, maybe Carter Hart's dealt. I, I, I'm a little more skeptical on that one, but I know his name's been out there a lot. I mean, Carolina, don't don't sleep on them. You know, there's some talk that Brett Pesci, uh, you know, might be available. He's one year out from needing a new contract, so he's in a similar situation to a lot of the players we're talking about being traded. And so I, I think that we're going to have some fireworks on the trade market, and then you know, of course, the the UFA market come July 1st. So now this is a, this is a pretty fun two and a half weeks on the calendar if if you like that sort of thing and. You know, the one last storyline we didn't talk about is that as of Friday, teams can start the buyout process. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that runs through June 30th. So it's not necessarily that you're going to see the first buyouts executed right on Friday. But, you know, we have a few teams to keep an eye on. I I look at Boston, which has tremendous, tremendous cap issues entering this offseason. Did they look at a buyout? Vancouver, you know, their their cap troubles are well documented, but perhaps they're a team to, to watch there. You know, I think a lot of teams, you know, what do the Leafs do with Matt Murray? Is he a potential buyout? Did, did they trade him? You know, Edmonton, I think, will be trying to trade Kaylor Yamamoto, but maybe they have to buy him out if, if they can't find a partner. I mean, I, I think a lot of teams, because we're, remember, Julian, we don't have the cap yet, but everyone's operating under the idea that it's going to be just a $1 million bump to $83.5 million. So a lot of these top teams need to create some, some space in the next two weeks, and so you're going to see some buyouts here in the next week, too. I am. I was already excited for the next two weeks, and uh, after that dump of information, which was a lot, by the way, you dropped some gems uh, today, Siege. I'm v- a lot of people are going to be excited, man. You're getting everyone hyped up. I do it for the hundred percenters, bro. They keep me going. Do you have any stick taps before we wrap up? Wrap up today's episode. I could go lots of ways, right? We, we got Nick Taylor. We could be giving love to Jamal Murray wins an NBA title, Canadian. That was going to be mine, yes. Okay, you go to Jamal. I'm going to go for an unheralded member of the Golden Knights, and that's Tom Porzaska. And most people listening to the pod might not know who he is, but he used to run the site General Fanager. And, you know, what he did at the time, and and I got to know Tom a little bit because he was based in Toronto, uh, and he was around some Puck Talks events I did. And, and, you know, he would help me out from time to time with stories I was working on. But he, he put an expansion draft tool on his site about a year leading up to that Vegas expansion draft and ultimately got hired by the Golden Knights has since become a valued member of their hockey operations department and on a couple nights ago this week General Fanager won the Stanley Cup with the Golden Knights and so you you won't see a lot of press about that one but uh, Steve Dangle is reminding us of that in our group chat and I thought how cool is that that you know basically a guy talk about turning your dream into a reality he basically was helping game plan what the Golden Knights might do at the expansion draft first, just for the public who wanted to do that exercise actually gets to do the real thing with Vegas and ultimately is part of a Stanley cup winning front office and all the good decisions that front office made. We'll never know exactly what degree of impact Tom had, but I'm, I'm sure it's, it's a big one behind the scenes. Big stick tap for him. Congratulations on the Stanley cup championship. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give mine to Jamal Murray, uh, joining a growing list of Canadians who have won an NBA championship. Uh, not a great week if you are from South Florida, unfortunately, with Miami and Florida losing their respective championships. But really cool to see Jamal Murray come back from a big injury layoff to team up with Nikola Jokic 
to win an NBA championship over the Miami Heat for the Denver Nuggets. Good timing from Color. If you're from Colorado, though, you get the Avalanche winning the cup last year and the Nuggets winning this year. So a uh, big stick tap to Kitchener, Ontario's own Jamal Murray. Represent. Represent. Represent indeed. Get your questions in now, whether on Twitter or on Discord for the Monday edition of the CJ Show. Subscribe to the podcast on YouTube. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to this great show. And we'll be back on Monday, Siege. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.